Well, this is our last Sunday in the series, The Giving God. We've been sharing quite a bit. We talked about the fact that we got it from John 3.16, of course, and He loves us. Uh, he wants us to be with Him forever. God loves us in such a manner that He would rather die than be without us. That He comes with His love. He gives us His love. He gives us His joy, His peace, His hope, whatever of those you need. And the fact is that we didn't get to meet on Christmas Eve, but the wonderful thing is the word is past tense. He gave. The work is done. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is over. There's no more work needs to be done ever. The plan of God is absolutely completed. It is finished. It is, it is over. It's done. But God hasn't stopped giving his salvation to people. It's still available to us. And all we have to do is receive the gift. The gift is, only, gift is only a gift when it's been given and received. And in all of that, when we accept the gift, he makes us his children. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the word gave is picked up in another portion of John. We've read it two or three times through this Christmas season since I've been with you, and I thought it would be appropriate to read it one more time as we get into the message today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That was a great song, Bob. That was a great song at the beginning. He talks about creation, understand. Creation, this part of God's creation, the most special part is us. And yet the rest of God's creation recognizes God more than we do sometimes. He came into his own and the world didn't recognize him. He came into that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him either. You ever notice the only time you ever see Jesus a little bit frustrated in the scriptures was with religious people who should have known better. You ever notice that? He's so patient with people like us. We're called sinners, by the way. <laughs> He's so patient with people like us. We're called broken, by the way. We're called needy, by the way. He's so patient with us. The only time we ever got impatient with religious leaders who should have known better. They didn't, but they should have. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Next. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's go back to verse 12. Look what it says. Yet to all who did receive Him, to all who did receive Him, next slide, sorry, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Very interesting, isn't it? So all we have to do, all we have to do to become children of God is three things. Uh, maybe four if you like, I suppose. But the first is receive. We have to actually receive. To receive Christ means this. And actually we believe what God said about his son. We actually believe what the son says about himself. 
We actually believe what the Holy Spirit witnesses in our spirit to about this Son who comes, that He really is the Son of God. He really is who He says He is. He is the Messiah. We receive that truth, and that truth becomes fact, and that fact becomes faith, and that faith sets us free. We receive Him. And this was a shock to the nation because, you see, they built so much in culture. They built so much on heritage. They built so much on, on their history and their background. But God said, no, no, none of that means anything. It all starts and ends with this person called Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. You have to receive. And in receiving him, we actually believe. Now, I don't know when that journey started with you, and I don't want to be personal all the time, but every once in a while, it's a good to go back and share a little history. For me, my history with Jesus started in grade nine. There was a big auditorium, big, you know, all the kids were there at the end of the year, and uh, they were handing out awards. So they had another awards for the football team and the basketball team, and I wasn't into any of those. I had to work. I, never, I was only able to be in school by working part-time. And I wasn't that athletic anyway. I don't really have the body for it, you can tell. So I just, you know, if I often say if it wasn't for being out of shape, I wouldn't have any shape at all. <laughs> this is not in my notes, but do you want to know the best definition of exercise I've ever heard? Have a hot bath, pull the plug, and fight the current. <laughs> just in passing. Some of you like that, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, so I, wasn't, I wasn't, you know, anyway. So... On the platform, there was this inter-school Christian fellowship group that gathered. And I don't know whether it was just that day or I can't remember if it was required. There were eight people on the platform receiving awards for belonging to this Christian group. Seven girls in skirts or dresses. And one guy. Not in a dress. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm in grade nine. I'm, I'm, I joined, I might have even led the people saying, where's your dress? You're the only one on the platform without a dress. Hilarious. We, the, the, the place, there were 700 students. We erupted. We made fun of him. And as I'm helping to make fun of him, it hit me. I wouldn't have had the courage to stand on that platform with seven girls for any reason under the sun. And he impressed me. He actually blew me out of the water with his courage. And following church, following service, that, following the auditorium that day, I got it right, I'm in church now. Following the auditorium that day as we're leaving, he came up to me and he said these words. Do you remember Mr. Caulfield, his name was, a pastor in the local town? Well, I knew him because I had delivered papers for his son when they were on holidays, and then I delivered papers to him, and he was a really nice man. He said, he's holding special services this week. Would you come with me? Huh. Can I tell you that if he'd asked me that any other day, do you know what my answer would have been? No. Just for those of you who weren't sure. And all I could remember was his courage standing on that platform, let alone Christianity. I didn't care what the group was about. And I said, yes. So that night he took me to church with him. 
And Mr. Caulfield spoke the word of God. I have no idea what he preached. I don't remember at all. But I remember the end. Here's what he said. If you're here and you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, please come to the front. I had no idea what he was talking about. So I just sat there. I'm so glad he didn't give up. And then he said, if you're here and you'd like to be born again, please come forward. Well, I had never heard that in my life, so I didn't know what that was about. So I just sat there. And then he said, if you're here and you feel like God has taken your heart apart and you'd like him to put it back together, would you come forward? And I remember running to that altar and kneeling there. And I don't know what this happened to you. It probably doesn't happen to everybody. But I had a vision of Jesus. I'm kneeling there. And Jesus stood before me with his arms open. And he said, come to me. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't own a Bible. He said, come to me. And at that moment, I had a meeting with the living God. And I received him. And I believed in him. What was your moment? Well, what was that moment in your life when it doesn't matter the circumstances? What was, that, what was that moment in your life when you said yes to Jesus? Would you just pause for like 30 seconds and just close your eyes and just thank him? Would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You may open them now. It's interesting. See, the Bible says we only have to do a few things. We have to receive. We have to believe. We actually have to do two more. We actually have to repent. You have to repent. Look what it says. To, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So repentance is two things. Repentance is turning from your old way, sin, and turning to the new way, God. That's all it is. And the last thing that we do is we confess. We confess with our mouths that he is the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior. So if you look at it in Romans, it says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Well, that's it. That's our part in salvation. And, and John goes on a little bit. He says, and it's in his name. Because names matter. You see, Jesus is the one who was with us. The Christ means he's the Messiah. You know his name's not Jesus Christ, right? He is Jesus, not Christ. Jesus is his name. The Christ is a title. So he is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, the Christ. That's who he is. And we believe in his name. And it's through him and only him. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And when that happens, he gives us the right, according to this text, to become his sons and his daughters. And I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We become his sons and daughters. It's incredible. That's the basis of the whole new series we're going to talk about starting next week. So as I get thinking about this, there's a little word in this text called the right. He gives us the right 
to become the children of God. The word right in Greek is, I can't pronounce it, but it's E-X-O-U-S-I-A-N. And it means we have the authority, the privilege has now been given to us to become the children of God. It's more than power. It's the right. It's actually, you talk about rights, we have the right to become the children of God. And so as I got pondering all of this and what we do and what John's talking about, I couldn't get away from the fact that's our part in salvation. What is God's part in salvation? Well, it's amazing, folks. It just is. So here's God's part. By the way, we did three or four things. God does 10 things. You ready? Here we go. I'm only going to take about 10 minutes each on each of them. No, a little less than that. The first is redemption. Look what it says in the Scriptures. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished in us with all wisdom and understanding. So redemption talks about the plan of God. It is, it is the redemption. That's God's whole plan right from top to bottom, inside out, back and forward. Everything is here. And it's amazing that I love the word that's added in this text, that He has lavished on us His grace. The forgiveness of sins through His blood, the sacrifice that He made, it is lavished on us the right to become the children of God. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. It's why there was a Calvary. And then it goes on and says he becomes our substitute, a substitution. Jesus was born to die. Look what the scripture says. God made him who would no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an old, old song. Boy, we went back today. That was an old song. There is a redeemer. Uh, Keith Green back in the 80s, I think. And I think this one goes back further than that. This one may go back as far as the ark. I'm not sure. Here's what it says. And I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. Anybody remember that song besides me? Let me see your hands if you remember that song. Let me just tell you what happened. You just told everybody around you you're old. I'm so sorry. But I am too. Here's the problem with it. It's not true. It is not true. And I should have been facing death, yes, but none of us were, none of us were going to face crucifixion. It's not, see, the problem here is not the means of death, it's death itself that is the issue. It, we just have to understand that God died to redeem us, and he took the punishment for our sins so that in him we might have freedom. Folks, we were not facing crucifixion. We were facing death. And Jesus died in our place. So because he died, we don't. Did you get that? Because he died, we don't. Psalm 23 talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Folks, it's just a shadow. Death is just a shadow. And we walk right through the valley with him. And John 14 says he is with us and he comes and he takes us by the hand and he leads us through it because we are not permanently going to die. We only die a moment, a second, instantly we're with God because we have been set free from the penalty, the judgment of death, and we will live forever. That's what that means. And he wasn't our substitute on a cross. He wasn't a cross. He was our substitute in death so that you and I might live. It's not the means of death he rescued us from, but death itself. 
And then he, he reconciles us. Oh, I love this. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with all his commandments and regulations. His purpose was, the purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, the old and new, thus making peace. In this body we to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Here's what that simply means. All those words, here's what it means. We are brought back to God. So it's a verb. So folks, listen, you're far away from God. You're a sinner. You're lost. Sin is rampant. And everybody knows they're sinners. Everybody does. They don't even keep their own law. And so Jesus says, by death and the cross, he says, you know what? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to pull you. Always Bob. It's always Bob. But see, Jesus, we don't come to him. He comes to us. And he brings us back to himself. You're very helpful, and I really appreciate it. Can you thank him? It's not the first time, and it won't be the last, I promise. Isn't that amazing? When you were far from him, he loved you. When you were far from him, he chased you down. Hebrews calls it the hound of heaven was after your soul. Wow. And then the Bible says we are ransomed. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only are we brought back, but we are bought back. He bought us. He paid the price so we could be free, so we could have salvation. It's amazing. And this is a really important question. Who was the price paid to? And I have to confess to you, when I was first a believer, I was in a church that I think their theology was a little off. They made it sound like the enemy of our soul had so much power, it was almost like the price was paid to him. No, 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 no. The price is paid to God because God is so holy, God is so righteous, he is so perfect that he can't count in his sin. And we are not welcomed in him because of our sin, but we are welcomed in him because of Jesus, because of the sacrifice that was paid We are set free and we are bought back by the price Jesus paid and we stand in God free and clear because of Jesus. Is that amazing or what? Am I the only one excited about this? It's incredible. We are bought back. But to God, we're brought back to God. And then, I love this. It's a big word. It's called propitiation. (laughs) Could you say it? Propitiation. Well, about four of you. Do you want to try it again? Propitiation. Well, I got 20 that time. If we stayed till three this afternoon, you'd all be saying it just to go home. So most of you would leave by then. Look what it says in the Bible. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice. Their propitiation is what the word means. For our sins, and not only for ours only, but for all the sins of the whole world. Here's what it means. It means when Jesus died on that cross, and when Jesus said, it is finished, it means that God was satisfied 
with the sacrifice that was made. So no other sacrifice has to ever be made again. God is satisfied. Wow. God is satisfied. And he's free to love you as his son and daughter. He's free to welcome you into his family as his child. And because of that, we are justified. Galatians. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Here's what it means. He pardoned us. He actually imputed his righteousness to us. When you and I were believers, we were sinners. We had no hope in ourselves. We had no righteousness of our own, no matter how good you were. You had goodness, but not righteousness. And I was actually taught this wrong at Bible college. Well, not wrong, just partially wrong. They taught me that when at college when I was there that I had no righteousness of my own and God had to give me his. And so I had what was called imputed righteousness, God's righteousness given to me so that I could stand righteous in the sight of God, not because of what I had done, but because of what Jesus had done. I was declared righteous by God through Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But here's what they didn't tell me. They only told me half the story. I'm 76. I've been a Christian now since I was 18. Really, while 14, I had an encounter with God. Really met him at 18. But the reality is, folks, I still have no righteousness of my own. I don't. Do you not feel remarkably unspiritual once in a while? Am I the only one? I'll tell you what that does. It doesn't make me grieve. It makes me hang on to God desperately. Because I know that in him, I have his righteousness given to me. And I stand righteous today in the sight of God, not because of what I did yesterday or because I'm preaching today. I stand righteous because the righteousness of Christ is still being given to me and to you. We are justified. We are justified. And we have a new standing with God. Are you ready? Are you ready? This is really critical. You all know this. It's just as if we'd never sinned. What? But I just sinned this week. I know, that's why we repent and confess every week. And he comes and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why we should do it every time we have communion. Huh. We are justified. But you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter. I'm not the one who's doing the forgiving. It's God. And he imputes righteousness to us. Hmm. And then I love this. Then he adopts us into his family. We become his sons and his daughters. Look what it says. In love he has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. We become heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. We have been adopted, and we get to call him Abba, Father. Have you been adopted into his family? Why don't you say it to him? Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what it means. Abba, Father, Daddy. And then I love this part, he regenerates us. 
Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Here's all that that means, that there's three parts to the human body. They call it three, or I, I call it three, trichotomy. We have the body, we have the soul, and we have the spirit. We all have a soul, folks. Animals have a soul. They can think and rationalize. They know when they're hungry. They know when they're tired. We have a soul. There's a soulish part of us. It's our intellect, our emotions, our will. But there's a spiritual side of us, a spiritual part of us that according to the scriptures was dead and trespasses and sins. And when God comes along and we believe and we receive and we repent and we confess, the Bible says that part of us which was not alive becomes alive by God's grace and we are set free to live forevermore. Life doesn't start when you get to eternity, folks. Eternal life doesn't begin then. Eternal life begins the moment you receive Jesus because you have the life of God living in you. Ephesians says the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable at home in our hearts and Christ takes up residence there. Do you know what this message really should have been called? Soteriology 101. This is just salvation. That's what happens. It's salvation. You become regenerated and we have his life in us. And then, and then I love this, sanctification is next. We, you know, the, do, you remember, do you remember the moment you were saved? You had some big sins and they were all forgiven and God just changed your life. Wouldn't it have been nice if he'd done it all at once? Because, see, sanctification is instantaneous. It is. It's instantaneous. So I'm pastoring in a small town, well, 8,000 people. I don't know if that's small town or not. And we had this lady who came into our church and gave her life to Jesus, and she just believed that everybody could be saved. So her kids got all saved, and, and she started working on her neighbor. And her, neighbor, her neighbor's life was a mess. And anyway, they invited me to come and visit with them one day, so I went to visit them, and I found out from the neighbor that her husband was an alcoholic, so bad that he would go on benders for days just days and days of benders. And finally she couldn't take it anymore, so she separated from him and divorced him. And they were believing that, she is a new believer now, they were believing that he was going to come to faith. And I asked her this question, well, how long have you been divorced? Five years. How long has it been since you've seen him? Three years. Where is he now? Well, he's living with this woman and his mother. This was a Friday, by the way. And I prayed with them, and I went home, and I remember lying on my couch, oh, man of God that I am. And I said to Sheila, my wife, I said, what are they going to do when it doesn't happen? They haven't seen him. They've been divorced for five years. They haven't seen him in three years. What, what are you talking Like, I love the faith. That felt like presumption to me. Do you know what happened? Saturday, he knocked out on her door. And he said, could I take you to dinner? And she was smarter than some older Christians. She said, sure, on one condition. Will you come to church with me tomorrow? He said, okay. He took her out for dinner on Saturday. He went home and kicked out the woman he was living with and her mother. He came to church. I don't know what I preached. It doesn't matter. 
Can I tell you that when I gave an altar call, he ran to the altar. And he was instantly, absolutely delivered from alcohol at that moment and never drank another drop again, ever. I had the privilege of remarrying them to each other. Well, what happened to the woman he kicked out? She was so upset with us. About a month later, she came to our church with her mother. And they both gave their lives to Jesus. I baptized all four of them in the same service. Don't you want that? That's what I want. That's what I want for Peterborough. That's what I want for this church. I want the redemptive power of God to set people free. And when they get set free, they get set free from their sins and themselves. It is instantaneous sometimes. And sometimes it isn't instantaneous. Sometimes it's progressive. God's still working in some sins in my life. Isn't he working in some in yours? I still have habits that I need to have broken. Moments of surrender that need to still happen. Oh, God, do it in me. Do it in these people today. And when all of that takes place, all God's work, we didn't do anything to do any of this. When all of that takes place, we are glorified. God prepares us for heaven. Look what it says. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You and I have been made for heaven, friends. We've been made for eternal life. <laughs> Look what it says in Colossians. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in Glory. God is going to share his glory with us. We will be touched by him. In fact, it's more than that. We are his glory. And it's amazing. We receive and have glory because the Son, our Savior, has glory. Next slide. And then this one. He had glory to give, else he could not have given it. Look what it says in the Scriptures. And I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He gives us his glory. And finally, it says this. We get to be called and become the children of God. Now, we've already talked about adoption. We've already done that. But I, I, want, us to, I want us to understand something here. There's a, there's a Greek word where Jesus uses of his son. God calls him the hulios. It's his son. That means, that means he's the son of God. There's only one son of God. So it's true that we are adopted, but in this text from John chapter 1, he doesn't focus on adoption. The word adoption really comes from Paul. When Paul writing most of the New Testament, he talks about us being adopted. John never talks about that at all. He talks about the only son, Julios, is God, and he talks about us as his tech 
Ekna, which simply means this, that you and I have become his children. God calls us the children of God. Next slide. So that we now become this part of his family. And like children, like Jesus was begotten in a special way as the only son of God become the son of man, because of the impartation of Christ's life in us, we become begotten of the Father. And not only are we sanctified, but we are changed, we are transformed. We become more like Jesus all the time. That is the plan. That is the purpose. Notice what it says in 1 John. Dear friends, we are now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that doesn't start when we get there. It starts when we come to him in the first place. And then we're owned by him. Divine ownership. The old King James Version did his damage. It said that we are God's peculiar people. The word peculiar in our world means odd. Friends, let's be honest. Most of us don't need a lot of help to be a little odd. There's nothing spiritual about it. The word doesn't mean odd. It means owned. We have standing with God because we are owned by him. We are his children. And he's established a new covenant with us. It's called the covenant of grace. I have to be honest with you, and please forgive me for this. I am so enamored with grace. I am so enamored with the covenant of grace. I can hardly quote the Old Testament anymore. Because the Old Testament was about law. We don't live in law. We live in the freedom of God. I still read the Old Testament. I still thank God for every time it points to the Christ. But you and I have been set free by the Son of God, and who he sets free is? Free indeed. indeed. We have a new covenant. We become his church, his community, his people gathered in his name. And we call him Father. Abba. Wow. He's the giving God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He is our father. You are his children. We're going to start a brand new series next week called Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father. If we're really his children, if he's really our father, wouldn't we want to please him? Wouldn't we want to live for him in a way that brings honor to his name? So we're going to talk about some ways we can do that. We're going to listen to the word. We're going to learn from the word. We're going to learn to live in God in a way that pleases the Father, for the Father. And guess what? Just a little sidebar. When you live for the Father, there is some change and benefit for us. We actually become more like his son. His son. 